Welcome to the Chronicle Take Two, the bonus episode of the Chronicle Film Podcast, the official film podcast of the People's Movies. As ever, my name is Paul, I'm the editor of the People's Movies, and thank you for joining us for this bonus episode 26.5. Clotilda Tenichi is joining me again, as she usually joins me on the main podcast. Hello, Clotilda, welcome back. Hello. In this episode, as I said, it's the bonus episode of 26, which we just recently done, which is still available at the People's Movies and also, obviously, all the usual places you can get your podcast to download calling it the BAFTAs preview episode but obviously we're going to take in the Oscars as well before I do anything you probably notice I called the bonus episode the Chronicle Take 2 that is going to be the new name for our bonus episodes as many and many as I'll know I also do my own little uh, website called the Chronicles Film that was where I got the Chronicle name for the podcast from so Chronicle Extra which was the original name for the podcast the Extra podcast that's going to be the, the name for Chronicle Films own podcast. To find out when I'm going to launch that, just stay tuned on obviously social media and the people's movies. As I said, we're going, for this episode, we're going to preview this weekend's the BAFTAs and we'll also have a little look at the Oscars, which happens in March. Sunday, the 18th of February, will be the 2024 British Academy Awards, obviously better known to the public as the EE BAFTAs. It will take place in London. And that, this will be the 77th edition of these awards, as obviously like you say, the British Oscars. And they will be hosted by former Doctor Who, David Tennant. So like every award ceremony, there is these are here to celebrate the film and all its guises for the actors, the filmmakers, and obviously everyone who is behind the scenes, who obviously bring that magic to the big screen. And every year, the nominations, some don't surprise us, we expect them. Some of the, the nominations we get, we, we do get shocked from it. We have a little bit of shock. Others maybe frustrate us, especially when there's films that we loved never get any recognition. As I mentioned in the intro, we're, we're going to sort of cross over into the Oscars as well, because a lot of the stuff that me and Clotilde are going to talk about cover both. Oppenheimer get 13 nominations. Jorgis wow. Lambsos, Poor Things get 11 and the killers of the floor moon get nine. They're sort of like the three main ones. So Clotilda, Oppenheimer, did it deserve all the nominations it, it got for the BAFTAs? Get the same for the Oscars as well. That's a good question, isn't it? I think I think it's an excellent film. And, yeah. and for me, also one of my favourite films from Christopher Nolan overall. I do think it deserved the nomination it got because it's an incredible achievement from a technical point of view, it's nominated a lot of the kind of more technical categories, but also like, you know, from the main ones, which is not very nice to say, but, you know, from directing, acting and, and all of that, I do think it's an excellent film. But I don't know, I feel like it's not, to me, it's not that much better than other films this season, if that makes sense. Like, I think Killers of the Power Moon, for example, is just as exceptional especially for the Oscars, maybe that's more um, Oscar-related than BAFTAs. It feels like there's just Oppenheimer, I don't know. Um, it, I think it's kind of like a show-in for many of the awards. Like I think everybody's expecting Oppenheimer to win Best Film and Best Director, and I'm very happy it's nominated in both categories, but I'm not sure necessarily the strongest contestant. I think this year has been you know, a great year for movies, and we have so many good ones. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of a hug. <laughs> Uh, question to answer. I would say it does deserve them, but so do a lot of other films that I think sometimes have been overlooked as well. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I'm wondering, 
if it came out either before or after Barbie, I'm wondering if it, I think it may or not got all the Oscar nominations yeah. and BAFTA nominations. Mm-hmm. That, That's uh, a really good point. I think yeah. a lot of the attention for Oppenheimer, I think from the mainstream public at least, has come from the whole Barbenheimer thing. Like, can name, you know, so many things that the Barbie marketing department did. So, like, what did Oppenheimer do in terms of promo? Not as yeah. much. And I think a lot no. of the attention, whether you like it or not, came from that. And I think that put it on a lot of people's radar as well. There's so many people that, like, normally wouldn't sit through a... Is it three hours? Yeah, like a three hours. Yeah, three hours, three hours, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and they did because, because of the hype, right? And and I think, in a way, the Oscars also... And the buses award season. They kind of pay attention to that, too, in the sense that they it's, it's an achievement in of itself. But it got at the box office as well. Yeah, no, I, I think it was the hype it, it got it where it was. Um, I know you really, really loved uh, Barbie when we mentioned it on the, the Best yes. and Worst uh, episodes. I enjoyed it, not as much as yourself, but I did enjoy it. And I think maybe because nominations at Oppenheimer's got, possibly could be the reasons why certain nominations Barbie never got. Yeah, 100%. I think, in a way... It's very interesting, right? And in a way, they're both the most mainstream movies, in a way, of this season because of how they were released and also the release dates. Like, the summer one is very much like a more mainstream release as well. Um, And I think you're right. I think if they had to pick between the two, they went with Oppenheimer instead because, like I said, there's so many movies that deserve recognition always, but especially there's a world season and obviously you have to make a choice. I personally would have liked to see Barbie recognized just a little bit more because I think I think it achieved something really impressive but I think that's an excellent point of like having to choose kind of like one most mainstream film and, and they went with Oppenheimer. Yeah I, I think it's all down to the years that the Oscars hasn't went for say like the Avengers movies that came out some mm-hmm. people were were campaigning these must have, these must get into Oscar the main Oscar nominations they have been not nominated yeah. for like the, the, the technical side of things and people have campaigned for that. And I think that the people who, the, the the jury who nominate these films possibly labelled Barbie up there with the comic book movies, which is, I think that was, was wrong. And I, I think that's what also went against Barbie. Yeah. I mean, 20, last summer, when can you say it was a summer where two movies have got the whole public, including people who maybe are casual cinema goers like ourselves, we are... Well, I would say we are hardcore cinema girls because we just go from <laughs> inside out, and part, part obviously because we we write, talk for websites and other publications, yeah. part of our thing, you know. People who would never really talk about films were going to the cinema. People, the women were all going with the the Barbie style T-shirts and the pinks and you name it. They were all dressing up. Even the guys were doing it as well, you know. They were just all getting into the fun of it, and that's what films should be. It should be a, a visual experience. It should also be an entertaining experience. It should do mm-hmm. everything. It should encourage all your all, all your senses, you know, your visual, your audio, uh, get you thinking, get yeah. you smiling, get you emotional, you know, everything what film is for. If you hate them or love the films, it, it just showed you the box office. The, the, obviously, the cinemas loved it because after the few years we had with uh, mm. COVID and the pandemic, where exactly. cinemas were virtually closing. Uh, these films made us love cinema again, you know, and and I, I, and I think the managers of these cinemas 
the small and the last change, if they had their way, they would probably show up Hyman and Barbie every day of the week. And mm-hmm. they'd probably still get a good box office return, you know. I, there were so many screens as well, like smaller ones, that were sold out, like, for for the entire week for Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. And that's just amazing to see, especially after the pandemic, that's been, like, really rough on the industry. Yeah, you know, it has it's been really, really rough. And, and I think this year, so far... Or even looking in, in uh, the films we know are coming in this summer and later this year, I, I can't think of any movies that could replicate the, the type of... It's hard. I, I yeah. think so. I mean, yeah, I agree. And I know they're releasing like some, some longer wages, like sequels especially, but I just don't think it's it's the same. Like, I think what happened with Barbie and Oppenheimer was so organic as well that it's just yeah. really hard to recreate because it kind of worked because it wasn't planned as well and if yeah. you try and make it happen then it kind of defeats the whole purpose in a way. I think also because as you said uh, earlier there the, the marketing for Barbie was such it was so colourful, vibrant mm-hmm. it, it showcased the, the fun that people are going to have when they go and see this movie, the silliness as well, because it was a silly film, but in an entertainment way, it didn't take itself seriously. And then yeah. you've got Oppenheimer, which took the, the minimal approach, which also, I will say, does work for films. I'm, I'm going off count here. I, I used to be a holiday rep a long, long time ago. I worked in resorts in Mallorca and Zante and Grace, which is families, young, star, young folks going to go to the clubs, the you name it, all the big attractions. And then I've done a year, two years working in Sorrento, Italy, and it's a completely different type of holiday maker where they want to know about the culture, the food, the the, the, the wonderful things that the Sorrento has to offer. And obviously the Amalfi Coast and Naples is very close by and Ischia and Capri, whereas mm-hmm. Mallorca, it's all about fun, see sex and drunk and getting drunk and doing making a fool of yourself, you know, so they're two completely different. Where if you're going to Mallorca, it's going to be colourful and vibrant and making the fun and, and Sorrento is all about the culture and the history and how wonderful that part of the world is. So that that's a bit like Oppenheimer, I would say, would be the Sorrento and Barbie would be the, the Mallorca. Yeah. So that, that 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 that's just sort of how I saw the type of uh, these two films. So I'm I'm thinking, shall we go through the awards? Hundred uh, percent. And we'll just see what we think each of them. And then at, and then at the end of that, we'll maybe go through some shocks and surprises, or we will mention them as we're talking along, and maybe yeah. talk about the E Rising Stars as well, because mm-hmm. that sometimes is a bit surprise. So shall we start with the best films? So the best films, I'll go through them first and then we can sort of mention a few things about them. I'm going to rewind back a little bit where I mentioned the shocks and the surprises. I think we'll mention them as we go through, because there's a couple, there's one shock coming up right away, a surprise if you like to call it. It's the best films. So the first film on this list is The Autonomy of the Fall. We've got The Holdovers, The Colors of the Fallen Moon, Oppenheimer and Pure Things. As I said, the surprise was Greta Gerwig's film didn't even make the, the list I of the know. best film. I believe Autonomy of the Fault may have got that last yeah. slot. Uh, don't get me wrong, Autonomy of the Fault is a fantastic film. It's a film I think does well. See if you're wanting these sort of procedural crime drama films where they're in a court and a lot of people, because a lot of people, where I think 
people may have been disappointed with Oppenheimer was it's a lot of uh, people talking in rooms. There's not a lot of things actually happen in Oppenheimer. But, but there is, there is, I think there's a slight, there's a balance there. That, that you do see a lot of stuff happening, but not a hell of a lot of stuff that happens. In the tournament of fall, some people saying, this is how you do it. You make a film where not a lot happens, but the, the actual dialogue is powerful. There is, don't get me wrong, there is a lot of uh, powerful dialogue and things that do happen in Oppenheimer. Maybe myself, Tommy Fall, I had that little edge on Oppenheimer. I really liked Oppenheimer before. I think I think it's a fantastic film and it was, I don't know, I feel like from what the premise is, it's just really hard to do well. It's quite long too and it's just paced really well. Like you don't feel that that much time is, is passing, if that makes sense. And it really creates the intrigue, um, especially if you go in without knowing much about it. It really does create that kind of tension until the very last shot. And you kind of don't know, like, the whole premise of the film, you know, is she guilty or, or not? Did he fall or, or was he pushed? And, and it keeps that tension going. And I think that's, that's very impressive. And the acting is also very good. I think Sandra Hull is incredible because she's acting in, like, two languages, none of which are her mother tongue. And it's very impressive. And... I'm glad to see it recognised. Of course, it did really well. It can't won the farm door. So, I don't know. It was, in a way, a surprise that it got nominated. But then if you think about how well it did, I can't, it kind of also makes sense. Yeah, I think the, the biggest issue is that there's only five spots. And there's a point where, like, how do you choose? Like, they're also very different films. How do you choose between, like, Barbie and Anthony Fall? Or how do you not include, like, a film like, I don't know, Past Lives, which I loved? Um, yeah, me too, me too. Right? And and I think in that sense, to me, it makes more sense, like, the Oscars have 10 spots, which is still little. But in a way, for me, it makes more sense than having just five because there's so many films that deserve that best picture nomination recognition and only five is so little and I think in a way maybe that's why people were less upset with the Oscar best picture nominations because there's more spots so there's going to be more films yeah uh, yeah I'm I'm definitely fine what I like to be talking about fall as you said it leaves you I don't think it totally answers who actually done it yeah, it leaves you with an open mind to think, make your own mind up, and I think it left you thinking, no one's wrong and no one's right. It was just that sort of thing. Obviously, we've talked about Oppenheimer, the holdovers, which the last time you mentioned the holdovers, you had seen it, and I haven't seen it, but now I have seen it, and I thought it was fantastic. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's very dry sense of humour. Mm-hmm. So, uh. It's a sort of humour that you need to think a little bit about. I think one of the things about a lot of the, the things that get voted, these uh, Oscar, the Oscars and the BAFTAs, and I think it disappoints us, if you like to say, the, the cinephiles who just love like, the fact the films that are called mainstream movies, your blockbusters, like your Barbies. Some of them are like, what we call art movies. A Tom in the Fall is an art movie. and You could, could say Oppenheimer's an art movie. Yeah. Even even in a sense, the colours of the fallen moon, which is the next film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it could be in holdovers. I think is an art movie. What I loved about it, and that's probably why a lot of movies that we've mentioned uh, are not getting on this list. However, we both mentioned a film. It isn't on this list. Past lives. Anyway, that's an art movie as well. 
Absolutely. Holdover's absolutely brilliant. Paul Giamatti, I think, is one of those actors that doesn't get the, the credit sometimes he deserves. Sometimes mm-hmm. he might only be in it as a, a small part of a movie. He might be the supporting actor. He also might be the lead actor. And every time he does it, he's one of those actors you can rely on. You know you're going to get 110% off him, even if the film isn't great. I mean, I remember yeah. the, the Spider-Man movie where he played right. It was it Rhino. He was great in it. He was only in it for a little part, but you could see he was having fun doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved how, once again, when we, we talked about Eileen uh, in one of oh, the previous yes. episodes, the, 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 and also the Joker, done the Joker, the logos of the film companies that uh, who, who released the movies, like in the Holdovers and Eileen, they created it in the, the, the style of the era that the film set on. Obviously, the Holdovers is set in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So you saw the, 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 the site, the logos all designed in the 1970s style. I loved that. I loved in the intro. I love that too. It's such yeah, a nice the, touch. It is not a sort of crackling, you know, that you you ever you've ever watched an old seventies or even sixties movies or older movies where they, you see that in there as and obviously uh, everything else how they made it so authentic with the the, the clothes, the fashion, what they ate, what they wear, what they drove, even the things that the, mm-hmm. the technology. I, I I just loved it and I could just sit. Much Paul J. Matty all, all day, but obviously we can't. What was it you loved about the movie? I just think it has that perfect balance between comedy and like heartfelt moments, and that's really hard to achieve because I think sometimes it's easy to just like lean into the comedy and just forget about everything else, or just like make it super depressing. And I think the holdover has that perfect mix of like you're laughing at one scene, and the actors have excellent comedic timing between each other as well. Yeah. And then, and then, but there's also like that kind of more um, heart, heartfelt and sensitive moments, and they just really pair well together, which is, I think, really hard in terms of like writing and acting. So yeah. it's just really impressive to me that they did that. Yeah, yeah, really. Then you were right. All the, act, the actors were great, and it wasn't. I know. I get a wee bit frustrated at times where, oh, it's a comedy. Yeah, the holdovers is a comedy, but it's not an outright comedy. Mm-hmm. It's more, I think it's more of a drama with a lot of comedic moments in it. Yeah. Uh, some you need to think about. There's a few laugh out loud ones as well. It's, it's just a great. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of dark humour, a lot of and a lot of emotion, and it's. I definitely think yeah, it's a good one. So the next one is the Colors of the Flower Moon, which we talked about in our first ever episode together. I think that yeah. was the, the London Film Festival episode. I, and then we mention it again on the best films. It's just such a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Scorsese, he's a legend, you know. He's a walking encyclopedia like Steven Spielberg. The two of them know their their craft inside out, and I think that's why a lot of his films, even the ones that people maybe don't like as much, like The Irishman, little the little small details. It's a bit like watching a Japanese animation, an anime, or a, or reading a manga. The amount of details they put in, the fine details, is such sublime. Mark Scorsese is good at good at that. And this was him back in form with, with the Colors of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I love, I absolutely love the Colors of the Flower Moon. I think, I don't know, I feel like, I know it got nominated in a few categories, but I still feel like people don't talk about it enough. Yeah. I don't know why, I'm not sure, like, what went down with the release. Um, It's such a, such a fantastic film. And I think from like every like 
the acting is amazing, the cinematography too, and it's just like the way it kind of brings you into the story that I think a lot of people in the audience weren't familiar with. It's also like, I know it's said in the past, but it's also very relevant um, to today yeah. and it can inform the present too. And I, I just, I love it. And I wish, um, in that sense, I do wish it got the same kind of hype as Oppenheimer does because to me, they're both extremely high quality films. I think even, you know, if I had to pick, I would... I would pick Killers of the Flower Moon over Oppenheimer, not that. I would as well. No, I would as right? well. I just, there's some scenes that I still think about today like, that really remained in my head. The way they were filmed and, and the way the story's told is really impressive. And I, I don't think any other like director could have done the way that Martin Scorsese does. I know it sounds like silly, but you can really see his touch in the story. I think a uh, lot of things like, well, it's not a little thing. I think it was because a lot of these movies are now at like three hours plus. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people are a little bit off pun. I know the Iceman felt it dragged. It dragged I, a lot. I really dragged. That was so long. But the colours of the Flower Moon actually went really, really quick. I it started agree. slow and then it really built up when we, you knew what was going on. It really, And I think that's possibly someone who's made a more mainstream film go for that two hour or a 90 minute film might get off put with that but also yeah. when when he said that superhero movies he called them was it roller coaster rides he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily saying they were bad movies it just says no, exactly. just... i think it's just a different type of entertainment and that doesn't mean one is more valid than the other i agree with him in that sense like yeah I don't think you can really compare them can you but i think you're right about the runtime i i think he does have the power moon really flies by um yeah. And I watch it at like 8 a.m. So <laughs> that's impressive. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people I talk to, like a lot of my friends that maybe are not, don't go to the cinema every other day. And everybody was telling me, oh, no, no, I can't watch Killers of the Flower Moon. I only do like one movie longer than two hours per year. And that was Oppenheimer. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, <laughs> I mean, Oppenheimer's what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes shorter than Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, they're basically the same length, and I don't know. I don't know why people feel like they have to take one long film and then you can't see any other one. Yeah, exactly. So the final film, obviously we've mentioned Oppenheimer. The final film on this list of the best films is uh, Yorgos Lanthimos's *Pure Things*. For me personally, since I watched the the film and we reviewed the film on the same episode as The Colors of the Flower Moon. I haven't had a chance to see it again. A few people, uh, other fellow critics who have seen it, saw it again, and they, they've actually changed their mind on it. Oh, interesting. I, I don't know, it's because they when we watched it originally, we watched it with a cinema audience. Yeah. We watched, we watched it a couple of days after after the London it showed at the, the London Film Festival, I watched at the Glasgow Film Theatre. It was one of the first the cinemas. There was a few others, I think, around the UK as well at the same time. It showcased the film, previewed the film right after the festival. And as I said back, if I remember my interview, uh, the review, people were just laughing out loud. And, and, and the way they were laughing, it was just like, that's not funny. Yeah. It wasn't funny, you know. And, and I, I felt, and I noticed there was a few other critics and, I, and a few critics, I won't mention uh, the names of the they write for but they do write for some major major media outlets be it in print form or online form i think they went and watched it again and they 
they preferred it the next time. Mm-hmm. I haven't I like seen that. it yet, so I'm still at the disappointed version. Uh, yeah, I was looking for something that was some like, like Brazil, that type of Terry Gilliam type film. Yeah, it did show some little signs of it, you know, when I seen in the trailer. But obviously, it's more it is more than and than actual that. What are people arguing? Is it a coming of age movie? Is it a, a liberated movie? You know, it's like a character, Emma Stone's character, who she was playing, without giving too much of the story. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's like a rebirth. So who she was before that? Uh, she was a completely different person. It was like the norms of the era that the film was set in. And who she was after that, she was seeing the world from a different pair of eyes and she's she seen herself as more freedom to experience some things herself. But the problem I had with it, it got a little bit too over. I don't mind films being gross. I think it just got, a, especially the sex side, you don't see much in it and that, but it was just like talking about, like, let's just go and do it. Let's just go and do it. Let's, I know I'm going to do it now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it now. At that part, that started annoying me, but as someone told me, Alistair Gray, who wrote the book it's based on, it was called Poor Things as well. Yeah. That, 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 that's his style of writing. Maybe if I read the book before it, yeah, maybe I, I might see it slightly differently. I didn't hate it overall. I saw a lot of good things in it. As I said, the sort of liberating side of things. But there was just a lot of things I didn't like about it. It made me, I think I ended up giving it like two, two and a half stars out of five. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I yeah, you loved it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think I did have a different experience because I saw Aeropress screening and it it does change in a way your perspective of the film. But it's interesting because I I did think oh this is not gonna go really well with like more mainstream audiences. I feel like I don't know. I feel like it's it's very much of like a art film in terms of yeah, like aesthetic yeah. and everything. But I don't know, from, from what I've heard, it seems to be doing well, like, outside of, like, TV circles, too. So I'm glad to see that. And and I think the fact that it was nominated to so many BAFTAs and Oscars, I, I do think that's part of the reason why people are going out and watching it and maybe seeing something that they wouldn't have otherwise, you know, spent money on. I'm glad because I think it's, I think it's a really good film for some of its faults. I, I don't think it's perfect, obviously, um, but I really liked it. I think... It's a it's a very interesting story, um, and the way it's told, it's just I don't know, it's, it's very well yeah. done, and it, it's raised a lot of interesting questions as well. If anyone hasn't read the book, the actual book, the actual story is actually based in Glasgow because Alistair Gray, what well, that 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 was his hometown, and I remember that this preview that I saw, Alistair Gray's son was there, mm-hmm. and he, and I think it was around about. Probably around about when they laughed most on, was it Dogtooth? He was offered this, the poor things back then. So you're talking about back about 2009, 2010. And he actually came to Glasgow and, <laughs> and uh, Alistair Gray took him around Glasgow. But I can understand why they never used Glasgow. But there's little, little homages, little Easter eggs in the film that pay homage to its actual original uh, place. So let's go on to the next uh, category uh, director there's a few films that we've mentioned we won't go t- too much details into it but we'll just quite go for them the first film uh, we've got all of us as strangers Andrew Haig I think we can equally say both of us loved that yeah. I, saw, I saw it again 
I think was when we, we just recorded the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, sorry, the episode we just recorded just before us, episode 26, I met, noticed a lot of other little things, uh, things, uh, Easter eggs, if you like to say again, that I missed the first time. I'd love uh, to Yeah, I loved it even yeah. better the next time. Uh, when he first meets uh, Andrew Scott's character, uh, when he meets Paul Mescal, meets Andrew Scott's character, and he's got a bottle of whiskey, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese whiskey. Obviously, oh, they're, the, the book is set in Japan, isn't it? It's a Japanese. Another oh, thing Japanese, I learned. Yeah. Yeah, another thing I learned. This is not the first version of the film. Oh. Forgive me, I'm, I'm not going to actually mention the name of the the, the film. It was a film made in Japan, because obviously it's a ghost story. Shall I like say at the same yeah. time? The Japanese film, it's called something completely different. It's more of a, a ghost horror story, if let's say it goes more on the supernatural side. As we know, uh, All of Us as Strangers does play on the, the supernatural side of things. If anyone wants to learn, do a little bit of research and you'll learn that the, there's two different films and there's two different ways that they've saw the story. I would love to go and try and find that Japanese film. Yeah. And find yeah, that as well. Actually go and get the book. Little things. It was just little things that I noticed, and it was more, uh, it was more on the sort of grief side of things that I, I started appreciating. The whole writing style of uh, Andrew Higgs. We're doing it again. Art, art film. This is a wee bit of an art film, but it's beautifully, mm-hmm. beautifully directed. It's, the the cinematography is beautiful. Uh, it's not, he's not Andrew Higgs. Not scared to rip up uh, the origin of this, the the film. Create his own version. As we've mentioned in uh, the previous review, it's just it's just a gorgeous film, which I think, uh, yeah, Andrew Scott uh, plays the main guy in this. He's called it a it's the ultimate gay movie. Yeah, mm. I can see what he means, but if you like myself, I'm not gay. I appreciated everything that this film uh, offered. Uh, it's just a stunningly beautiful film. Yeah, there's so much to it. Like I think people can like relate to it or just appreciate it for many different reasons as well because there's just a lot that you can kind of see in the film if that makes sense I think there's a lot about grief and like you know the passing of loved ones yeah that would be one of my picks for the best film the director and yeah. I, would, I would love to have seen all the strangers in the best film however as that is the BAFTA stroke uh, Oscars uh, make him up again the next film I've sort of mentioned quite a bit about, I believe she's it's the only lady on this list, female director, and yes. that's the economy of the fall and Justine Treat. Is it Treat? Triat? I think so. I'm yeah. not sure I don't know. How she's created a film where I'm not, she's made a, a film that's not a lot happens in it, but she's made it intriguing, enticing. You, you, you. You, you, you're eager to know what goes on here. She's she's grabs you, your attention, you know, and you want to go along. And I like how she misguides you in certain directions, but she deliberately does that to to make yeah. you think, oh, maybe it was him, maybe it was her, maybe it was the dog, maybe it was the son, you know, mm-hmm. you know that type of thing. It was, it was it's a fantastic movie. Don't fault. It's fantastic, and, and it's well, I mean, I saw it in May because I saw it in Cannes, but it came out a few months ago, and still. I see people talking about it and noticing new things and and I just like um you know even I clock new things and I'm like oh I didn't notice that until somebody pointed out and there's so much that we can still discuss about this film despite having seen it months ago and I think that's really impressive. Yeah, totally, totally. So the next one we both loved again. And that's yes. uh, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. 
There's something great about Alexander Payne. He, his films, he just seems to capture the decades, the generations, and he captures mm-hmm. it really well. Once again, a lot of small thin, little details of the era. Even some, I'm, I'm more and more thinking when we mentioned about the humour. I think some of the humour is very 70s-esque as well. Maybe it's just because I was born in the 1970s. Able enough to understand anything. I think it's just he's captured everything. The emotion, the drama, the humour. And he's just made a wonderful film. I would love to see him win it as well. What about you? Yeah. No, I agree. I think I think The Holdover is such a beautiful film. And to be honest, I'm very happy if like kind of any of this won. In yeah. terms of best director, I think they all achieved something amazing. I can't speak for Maestro because I haven't seen it, but yeah. um, other than that, I do think every single person on this list has done something remarkable this year. I'd be happy with any of them. My personal pick is not has not been nominated, so I, you know, <laughs> um, uh, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. I think in terms of directing, to me, like that's where I keep going. You know, that's that's where it's at. Um, yeah. I don't know why he's not been nominated. He has been nominated for an Oscar. Um, but yeah, I think regardless of that, any anyone on this list would make me happy. I think. Yeah. For different reasons, they've all done a fantastic job at yeah. their respective movies. I think it was was it, did you know win it for Silence? I think he might have won it for that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, the next movie on the list, uh, as you mentioned, is Maestro Bradley Cooper. I'm the exact I've same. I haven't seen yeah. it. Obviously, his first film he directed, my God, I've forgotten the actual name of it now. The one that he did with Lady Gaga and he starred in himself. Oh, yeah. Um, Star is Born. Star is Born. Uh, he, he did what did he? he yeah, he won, it, he won the best uh, uh, director, didn't he? I think he did, actually. He? Forgive me if he didn't, yeah. I'm uh, not sure. I just don't remember, actually. <laughs> but it's a great achievement. Someone who, for, for a couple of decades, an actor... Not necessarily uh, starring in the greatest movies. You suddenly <laughs> go and make Star is, Star is Born, when these Oscars are filmed, when these Oscars for a first time director, to be once again for his second movie, to actually be on this list is uh, a fantastic achievement. Yeah. Ne- next film is Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan. I, for, I think he'll probably win it. I think so, so too. Yeah, and I think good chance that Oppenheimer would win the best film as oh, well. I think for the Oscars too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because like I, yeah, I think the Oscars and the BAFTAs are like the precursor mm-hmm. for the Oscars, but don't, not always, not always. And the last film on this list is a bit of a surprise for a lot of people because it's just recently been released here in the UK. That is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest, Under the Skin. Uh, Skeleton Johansson. That was to many people that was a very divisive movie because once again <laughs> an art movie. But I loved it. Uh, I loved it. I loved that one. But there's own interest. I'm very. I'm very split. Hmm. It was great. It was a very good movie. wasn't it wasn't to the level of Under the Skin, which is an absolute fantastic movie. Yeah, it had its moments, but there was a lot in it. Uh, with uh, I thought yeah yeah that's fine the audio that was one of the problems I had to it obviously it was an audio that we were told it was an uh, audible experience you know we're hearing hearing things I was expecting things uh, 
Lottie, way shot the film, was very basic. I don't know if that was anything to do with the finance of the film. I, my flatmate, he he is a videographer, and he, and he, he knows he, he knows his basics, how he's inside out. He saw the film as well. He criticised. He used a lot of simple techniques uh, to to use on the, the way it was shot. And and he was expecting to use some of the sort of techniques he used in Under the Skin. I think that out of the all these movies, that's probably the the weakest. Well, I can't speak up for Maestro. Mm. Maybe the weakest. Uh, I don't mean the weakest. Maybe the the bottom of the 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 the, the films it's going to direct uh, win the best director, Jonathan Glazer. What about yourself, with Jonathan Glazer? Yeah, I really liked it. I don't think, you know, I, I know getting out of praise. I don't think I liked it quite as much as, as everyone seems to. I, I don't know, a brilliant film, don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know. I feel very much like I did when I watched Occupied City, um, which I think has some similarities in the sense that I think it's a brilliant film. I don't think I will ever watch it again. Um, yeah. It's so, like, harrowing and excruciating and... And it's meant to be, so it's not like a fault of the movie, but it's just, it's such an experience and I'm very glad like people are seeing it and, and appreciating yeah. it, because I saw it back in May as well. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I cannot ever do this again. Like, I remember I left the cinema and I was like, I, I will never watch this movie again in my entire life, but I think it created something very unique. I've never seen like, anything like it and especially in terms of like the representation of the holocaust i think it was what he did was very bold and i very much appreciate the kind of like idea behind it what it wants to show there's a lot that can be said about that but i don't know there's some things that i was like i know what you're doing this it makes sense but if we really have to do it like in many ways, it felt really long, which I also think it was meant to. There's a lot of it. I feel like it's really hard to phrase like the cinematography or the directing or the acting in this because I feel like a lot of it is meant to be very basic. It's meant to be like, you know, a static camera with like long shots. Yeah. And that's a choice. But then it's very hard to kind of like phrase its artistic sides because it feels like it's there's, there aren't many. I think it's, it's, it's just very impressive. It's very interesting as a film in a way reminds me a lot of like documentary filmmaking the way it films the people so i i'm happy it was nominated for best director i'm surprised too i didn't really expect a nomination but yeah yeah, yeah. so uh for me i would love andrew haig or <coughs> alexander Payne to win it but i think christopher nolan however i wouldn't the holdovers and alexander Payne may be challenging yeah. Challenging uh, at the Oscars. Cause I think Paul G. Marty might, might yeah. surprise a few people at the at the Oscars. And talking to Paul G. Marty, the next section we're going to go for, we're going to go into the actors now. So the leading actor, we've both never seen Maestro, so we can't really comment on Bradley Cooper. Myself in the next one, uh, well, that's Bradley Cooper and the Maestro. Uh, Rustin, I've not, not seen uh, Rustin, Coleman, Domingo. I think he's an actor who deserves a lot of uh, a lot of credit because he's always been a supporting mm-hmm. actor. But I can't comment on uh, Rustin. I don't know if you've seen Rustin. 
I did yeah I thought it was really good and resting you know it's like um it's obviously like a biopic so these movies are very much actor led in the sense that like the main actor is the obviously the main actor but it's obviously like the main thing that you watch the movies for and I thought he was amazing he just really portrayed the character very well with like such humanity I loved it I I'm so happy he got a nomination because I actually didn't expect Rustin to be nominated at all. So it's good yeah. to see. Uh, the next one uh, I just mentioned a few minutes ago is yeah. Paul Giamatti for the holdovers. As I mentioned earlier, he's fantastic. He's always he's always reliable in whatever he does. And I would love to see him. I think he, he could be in a good chance to win it at the actual Oscars, the BAFTAs. Uh, I really don't know. I really don't know about yourself with the holdovers and Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's he's obviously fantastic, and like I said, this kind of mix between emotion and, and funny moments is really where it's at with the holdovers, and he just just does it brilliantly. I I don't know. I feel like I really feel like Killian Murphy is going to take the BAFTA and the Oscars. Yeah. We'll see. But I do, like you said, I don't think if anybody's giving him a challenge, it is Paul Giamatti for sure. Yeah. Paul Giamatti, I think, is great at playing a Mr. Grumpy and he's very good at this. And he's very good at how he can. Uh, I won't say I was going to say he's good at hiding secrets. If anyone hasn't seen the holdovers, he does hide. You, mm-hmm. you learn about him as you go through the movie. And yeah. I think you learn about all the characters as you go through the movie as well to show that uh, no one's perfect. Uh, you've mentioned Chilling Murphy Oppenheimer. Yeah, I think he's yeah. definitely looking good for the for the BAFTAs. But a good chance he'll probably end up winning at the Oscars. As I said, Paul Giamatti, I would love to win at the the the, the Oscars. And the next one is for a film I really hated. And <laughs> when I when I still had a Prime Video, I decided to watch it again and I hated it even more. Oh so no! Barry Keoghan. And he was probably one of the, the one good things about it. He's really uh, good, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And that certain scene when he dances naked uh, to murder the dance form, which I believe I forget the lady who sings that. She's I actually going to she's actually going to sing is, that at the yeah. BAFTA. So you're going to hear it. Hopefully, no one comes out naked or anything and dances in the, the, the BAFTAs, and that that might just shut down the BAFTAs. Yeah. Barry Keoghan, he's probably one of the best. He's one of those actors. He's obviously he's a bit a bit like Coma Domingo. He's uh, somebody we've we've learned to appreciate through his supporting side of things. And now he's getting his big break. And some people may say Saltburn is that big break. What do you think? Uh, I think it could be. I think he's just having a very good career. Like he's, I don't know, it feels like he's making all the right choices in in a way. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I think he also wasn't he in the Banshees of Venice sharing last year. He was, yeah. Yeah, well, he didn't have like a big role, but I think he got a lot of like attention for it. A lot of people were praising his performance, rightfully so. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure it sort of was his breakup. Maybe as a like lead character, yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So the other, the other one of the leading actors is from Past Lives, and that's T.O.U., the, the Korean actor. I've got no problems with him. He's a, he could be seen as a bit of an outsider because he's, he's unknown. That's part yeah. of the world. Very and good actor. I, I don't know. I very, feel like it's, I'm just yeah, happy he was nominated. Like it's yeah. it's a wonderful film, and I don't know. It's to me that was a surprise uh, more than anything to see yeah. past lives in the acting category, especially. 
because yeah. I think it's getting a lot of praise for like the writing, um, which is fantastic. But the acting is awesome. Yeah, he's got a, a, a bit of an innocence across him as well. He, I think for yeah. for the actor that played played his character as a little boy, him himself playing the, the adult, he he feel like for the start he's still that young boy. And by the way, if anyone hasn't seen Past Life if in the UK, if you live in the UK, uh, it's now on Netflix. Netflix yeah. UK. That, we're recording this on the 5th, 15th of February. It just arrived this week, or just the last couple of days there, so have a watch that. So, we both think it's going to be chilling, Murphy? I think so. Yeah. So, the leading actresses, uh, the first one is Fantasia Baradino from The Colour Purple which we yes. just reviewed in episode 26 of The Chronicle. Yep, she is very good in this. Uh, you're right. She didn't play Cecilia in, in the, the the stage version. I think it was that actress yeah. playing, playing the, the, in Wicked. Uh, she's playing oh. the... Yeah, she oh, played yeah. Cynthia Chervino, is that? She played Cecilia, but I don't know, maybe Fantasia Barino played it at a different time, you know. Yeah, I think uh, so. So they, they both played, maybe Fantasia, I think, I'm not sure which is the, the older of the, act, the the two actors. One of them, I think, played it first, then another one. So I, I think uh, the actress is playing, uh, yeah, Savino, uh, Cynthia Savino, I think she played it first, and then I think Fantasia Barino maybe have taken over. I yeah. think so. Yeah, she's great. She's great. As I said, I missed the first part of the movie, which I believe a lot of the slightly more darker things, the, the emotional things happen, but there's a lot that happens all throughout the movie. She's very, very good in that. But I, I, someone that's in the support actress, I don't know if she get in. Nope, she, the support actress, actress, I don't know if she's in this. Nope. I think some of the, the support actors, actresses were very good in this. The mm-hmm. one that played uh, Sophie, was it Sophie or Sophia? I yeah, Danielle Brooks, right? Danielle Brooks, was, she's not even in the support oh, actress, which is a bit... Oh, no, tell a lie, she is. She is. Yeah, because she is the Oscars, I, I think, yeah. as well. Yeah, and then uh, what did you think of Fantasia Barino? Oh, she's brilliant. I think this is her first movie, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yes. She's state it's, actress. Wow, so impressive, and, and she got a bunch of nominations. Well, very well deserved. Um, it was yeah. a hard film as well, a very hard role yeah. in the sense that fans a lot of years too, and she has yeah. to sing, dance. Uh, it's like a, she's a famous right, isn't she? So yeah. yes, very well deserved, I think. Right, a few of us we'll sort of mentioned quite a bit about them, I and mean, there's an odd one we can't talk about. Uh, next one we've mentioned that you've mentioned. I thought it's yes. great. Is uh, Sandra Hill and the Autonomy in the Fall? You're right. I. I I think anyone whose first language isn't English or French or any other language, and you like like Sandra Hula, who is German, can speak other languages very natural. Which mm-hmm. I, I've seen it for the Scandinavian actors like Numeri Pacha, how they can speak they can speak all the Scandinavian languages and also speak English like it's a the natural language. Sandra Hula, fantastic how she can do that and. I know she doesn't speak as much French in this, but uh, next one, as I said before, I haven't seen Maestro, Katie Mulligan, yeah. so we can't really comedy. Have you seen Riley Lane? I have not. 
I really want to see it, but yeah. I, I missed it when it was on in cinemas, which is very sad. I was as well. Uh, uh, Ray Lehman had come out. It was uh, Frida Cooper reviewed it for the People's Movies. Uh, uh, when she watched it at Sundance, and then I, uh, I shared the review again because it played at the Glasgow Film Festival. So obviously that Vivian Opera, Opera, I've not seen Ray Lane. Next one is Margot Robbie and Barbie. Yes. I'll let, I'll let you start this time. <laughs> I like to, yeah. um, I'm, I don't know, it's, it's very weird, isn't it? Because she didn't get nominated for the Oscars and there was a yeah. lot of like comments on that. I do think, you know, it's Barbie. She's the lead character. She's, of course, she made the movie um, as an actress because she's also a producer in the film. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't think she'll win, to be honest, with this no. strong lineup. But I'm, I'm glad to see her nominated. I think Barbie is a role that may be overlooked. Um, like you said, it's a bit of like that mainstream film kind of thing, and also yeah. I think it's seen very much as a chick flick, and that yeah. doesn't have a great reputation in award season. And I also yeah. think because her character is associated with that, it feels like her performance is less impressive, which it isn't. I think obviously she takes us through Barbie's journey, and and you really see the character grow, right? Like from a doll to like someone who experiences feelings and the way she kind of portrays that is is incredible and it yeah I just loved it I think there's some scenes that she really makes them worth it um, and makes the whole film incredibly worth it because it does rely a lot on her performance and her taking us on this journey as well yeah I totally agree totally agree she 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 saw the fun side of it just went went just had fun playing it same with Ryan Gosling his mm-hmm. part, the two of them who ease up for the supporting actor. Yes. You see, he was having the biggest fun in the world. The two of them are as well. He was having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, they just thought, why not? Let's just go for it. Yes. If, it if the film's a disaster, why not? We've had fun doing it, you know. <laughs> you know, and obviously showing the, the, the fantasy side of it in the Barbie Land and then showing the realistic side, that was good. And and how you show the diversity of the two, the two actors and the characters they played, that was. That was interesting. So, the last of the lead actresses, and I think it's the one that possibly may win it, that's uh, Emma Stone for Poor Things. Absolutely. Yeah, you know you know my thoughts on the film. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was good, in it? As in, you know, uh, Poor Things, you know, she was one of the limelights in it. What about yourself, Emma? Yeah, I think she was yeah. really good in it. I think it's possibly one of her best movies um, as well. Yeah. I do have to say, though, it's a shame to see yeah. that Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon was not nominated. Because I think, to me, that was, like, perhaps the strongest performance this year um, yeah. ever. And it's quite disappointing to see that it wasn't recognised. Yeah, I totally agree. Given this lineup, I do agree Emma Stone will probably win it. If Lily Gladstone was in it, maybe not. I think I think what Lily Gladstone did for Killers of the Flower Moon is it's just incredible and you know it's also like the representation as well because I think she's the first isn't she the first Native American to be nominated for an Oscar she probably yes. is isn't she and, you know it's, it's what this film is about in the end it's, it's this representation and yeah I just I wish she had been nominated because it, what she did for this film I think needed to be recognized yeah, exactly. No, I totally agree. And also talking to uh, Kills of the Flower Moon, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's usually, virtually every film oh, he's in, get the lead actor he wasn't in it this time. 
but as you said i don't get it i do think like i don't know what happened with killers of the flower moon but i think people forgot about it i I don't get it it's uh she said lolly gladstone is the the best best of the acting uh, in in the lead acting categories so we both think emma stone may win it so mm-hmm. we, we, we're going to go through a couple more like the supporting yeah. actor support actor uh we'll maybe do the best british film yeah and maybe foreign language and then we'll we'll, we'll round everything up because i think we'll be here for a long we have actually been here a long time already basically you know, we Year another hour, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think we're getting very close to that. So we'll quite go through some and maybe not talk as much about some of them. Robert, yeah. uh, support actor next, uh, Kills of Fellow Moon, Robert De Niro. Personally, people might not like him outside acting, you know, for his, his views, you know, but Robert De Niro is a fantastic actor. He's mm-hmm. very good in the Kills of the Fellow Moon because he shows two sides of, uh, uh, of, a, of a human, if you like to say. His public side, where he's seen as someone who helps this play, the, the town that the, the film is based in, but at the same time, the other side of him is he's the total opposite. He's nasty. He's greed. He's greedy. Is the is the the autonomy of of greed of what the film is all about? You know, uh, that's Robert De Niro. What do you think of him? Yeah, I agree. I think he's really good in this film, isn't he? Um... Because I think we see a lot of sides of his character. And at first, it's kind of like the journey that Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes through. I forgot his name. But um, yeah. at first, he's a culture boy and he's nice. And then we start seeing this kind of like darkest side. And he really played that well, I think. Yeah. It's kind of like this nice guy, but also like the kind of menace that he is. It's very twofold. So the next one is Robert Downey Jr. Oppenheimer. I thought he was fine in it. Yeah, I got to a point where when he done his Tony Stark, I know it was the character he was playing, but I, I thought he was very pretentious. It was very getting annoying, fairly so, but he did it really well. Robert Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer. Obviously, it's quite hard because uh, to decipher how great the performance is because it was a dialogue-driven movie. But what was some, it was very good. I've got a funny feeling that he might sneak up because he got, he, he was one of the first things when Oppenheimer was released, people were saying he's absolutely brilliant in it. Mm-hmm. Don't know what you think. I think he's absolutely brilliant in it because, I don't know, I feel like I kind of always associate him with Tony Stark, so in a way I didn't, it sounds mean, but I didn't expect him to be that good. And I think, yeah. as well, when you watch the film, like, from the beginning, maybe I kept thinking, oh, he doesn't have that big of a part. Why are people saying he's great? And then by the time the third act comes around, he's so good. Like, I think the whole final part of Oppenheimer rests on him. Uh-huh. And and he, I think he plays that really well because you really see, similarly to, like, Robert De Niro in a way, you really see, like, this character's journey and how he kind of turns into a villain I thought he was absolutely amazing. I do think, yeah, I think he would was probably going to win, I would yeah. say. If I had to bet, I would probably bet on him. <laughs> so next one, we'll just mention Ryan Gosling and Barbie. And then yeah. we have Baker Bellorde in Saltburn. Yeah, he was good. He was good. Yeah. He was good, didn't he? We, we, we first see him, we see he's, a, he's from a, a privileged family. 
from uh, Barry Kagan's character when he was in there, the, the other people that was around him, you see there was a sense of sort of snobbery, but for mm-hmm. some reason Jacob Elordi's character could see the sort of what he thought was the goodness in Barry Kagan's character until obviously his downfall and that. Yeah, I don't know, do I prefer him in this or do I prefer him Priscilla where he plays Elvis Presley? It's a very hard question. I think Jacob Elordi has had a great year and these Sadly, roles are yeah. very different. Also, he does a fantastic British accent. I think I've said this before, but it's really impressive. And yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know what I preferred him in. I think he is really good though at playing these very two different characters in a very believable way. Yeah, exactly. And he and he's great. How he's he's played an Englishman and he's played a an American an iconic American, but he's an Australian. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the next two we've got Dominic Cesar from The Holdovers, and Paul Mescal from All of Us Strangers. Dominic mm-hmm. Setter, he plays the, the, the young boy that uh, Paul Giamatti's character gets on really well with, and Paul Giamatti's character sort of becomes a bit of a Farrah figure, if you like to say, to, to Dominic Setter's character. Where he, 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 he gets out the... You can see someone who's hiding a lot of pain, and mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti's character, the teacher that he plays, Professor... He, he seems to drag out the, the pen and he gets to see the real side of the character he plays. He's very good in it. Paul Mescal. It's also his first film. Even better. But what a way to do it by getting nominated. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul Mescal. And then Paul Mescal's done since After Sun, which yeah. apparently just played in the BBC there at the weekend or the weekend before. I completely missed that. Everyone loves him in it. And he's another actor who does well with the accents. Uh, an Irish actor, same Andrew Scott. The two of them are Irish actor, fantastic. This, said Robert Downey Jr., no, you never know. But, uh, Ryan Gosling might win Barbie. Yeah, I think it's might between win. those two. Paul Mescal might sneak it in the BAFTAs. You never know, because, you know, we, yeah. we, like, we like to go for the British and Irish uh, talent. <laughs> so let's go into the support act- actresses. Yeah. Uh, first one is Oppenheimer again. It's Emily Blunt. She's good in it, but she's not in it a lot. That's the thing. Yeah, I agree. And that should surprise me with the, how she got she got it. Yeah, I think that I mean the two scenes or three scenes that she has, she's amazing. But it is only what two or three of them. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it really, really is uh, a bit of a surprise. Next one is Danielle Brooks, which we mentioned the color purple. Uh, I think she. She's uh, the emotional uh, driver of uh, Colour Purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, gets, she has some powerful scenes, especially the the scene where she ends up in jail, and that sort of show brings in the sort of racism side of the film. So that's Daniel Brooks. What about yourself, with Daniel Brooks? I thought she was fantastic, and and I I agree with what you said. She really drives the emotional part of the film. Yes, yeah. she, she does it so well. I think. Her character also goes through a lot, so we really see different versions of it, yeah. of her, and like what she goes through. And I think she does that so well. Like, um, obviously supporting actress, she's not in it that much compared to other uh, characters, but she she's so memorable, even having maybe less things than other actors in it. Yeah, and they have a Sandra Huller in the Zone Interest. Sandra Huller is nominated in both categories, which I think is. Wow. Yeah, well, well. In a different language this time as well. Yeah, Jeremy was in a, a natural, yeah, you're right, a natural language. Yeah, she was fine in it, but nothing spectacular. 
Yeah, like I said, for zone of interest, it's just really hard to say because yeah. I don't think I don't know the man. I don't think it's a movie where we're meant to like appreciate the acting. Yeah. It's just the very nature of it. it makes it very hard. Uh, next one is obviously Strangers, and that's Claire Foy. Fantastic. I think she was brilliant in it, and I think the reason okay. I like liked her in it is because obviously uh, Andrew Scott's character, she plays his mum, but his mum, as the last remain, rem, reminds her in it, uh, and obviously she died in the, in the 1980s, so she's very 1980s, and and I like how she reacts when um, she goes, hey, you, got a, you got a wife yet, you get kids, you know, that way. And he goes, no, I'm gay. And, and <laughs> she reacts in a way that people reacted in the 1980s to anyone that was gay. And obviously in the 1980s, the, the AIDS epidemic broke out and a lot of negative press and a lot of things were happening. There was a lot of actors and well-known people were coming out. Uh, is gay and sometimes it, once they came out opened up uh, at that point of time decade they were their careers were over nowadays it's completely different even i even got to a point with some of the younger folks i don't want to sound disrespectful that oh it's hip let's just come out rather than just just if you're gay or lesbian just come out just say it but anyway, I'd like to tell you, I'm so-and-so and I am gay or lesbian. Uh, so it was very good in that sense, I find. And it, it also showed there was a chance of grief as well with the two of them to sort of say sorry and say their goodbyes. And I think she was great in it. The next one, pretty much a lot of like Emily Blunt. I'm a bit surprised. Uh, uh, but she had a little bit more than Emily Blunt in the, say, Ro- Rosamund Pike in Saltburn. She wasn't in a lot. She's, I think her character is very memorable. Yeah. I don't know. It was. Uh, I think I agree. It was a bit of a surprise to see her nominated because, exactly, I don't think she's in it that long. So the next one, and I would actually like her to this lady to actually possibly win it, is mm-hmm. the holdovers and divine Joy Randolph out of out of obviously Paul Giamatti and Don Cesar. This sort of brought most of the comedy to the film. Yeah. She brought the heart and the emotion because she has a I'm not going to say much about it she has a mother in it that's all I'll say about it uh, and she brings a bit of the emotion and drama to the actual film she was like the, the emotional backbone to the film mm-hmm. and at times she put the, the if you like to say the boys in their place when they mm-hmm. started arguing because there is one there is one scene that Donna McSessor does and he dislocates his shoulder I won't say much more about that because the film is still in cinemas and uh, I think she's fantastic in this. I don't know about you. Yeah, I agree. I think, in a way, she kind of holds the film together, doesn't she? Um, she's kind of like this motherly figure. And, yeah, I think it was most of the emotional parts that come from her. I really hope she wins. I think she will. Um, yeah. I think it's like one of those performances that really stay with you after you've seen the film. Yeah. I'm just hoping it's not the only award that uh, the holdovers win over the two Oscars and BAFTAs. Yeah, because right. it's, it's hard, isn't it? But yeah, I agree. Yeah, yes. Uh, so let's go on to, as I said, I'm going to skip through a lot of them. Uh, we're just going to go to the main ones. To get the full sort of list of the nominees, if you want to look at them, go over to thepeoplesmovies.com and uh, I, I posted all the nominees there. Uh, just have to look up it. Uh, when the nominees came out last month. 
Uh, next one, I'm going to go for the, be- the outstanding British film. I'll go through all the strangers. We both lo- lo- love the film. Yes. Yep. I haven't. I have seen this one, and uh, the next one is how to have sex. As I mentioned earlier on, I was a holiday rep, and and this brings up a lot of the things that happen. Young ones, your ones that are on holiday in Spain, Greece, Turkey, you name it. You get up to a lot of mischief, especially when it's uh if you go to something like Zante or Magaluf, where it's all you're there also for the music, the the club scene. People are saying how how original the film was. I get no problems with the acting, the sort of directing. I think I get really frustrated that people were saying this is a highly original story. It's never been seen before, never been seen in. Someone says he's never seen that in even in life. And I said to him, have you actually been in the holidays? Yeah, I've been to Falaraki for a couple of days. Yeah, that's what how to have sex is based in that. What happens in there? Yeah, there's a lot of emotional things happen where, where it also starts as a girl, girl's holiday. They go there, they want a bit of holiday romance, they fall out, they do get a bit of romance, the disappointments of things that do happen, dark things do happen as well. I was, First year I was a rep, I was in the rep in Zante, and within two days arriving in Ireland, I had to go to Zante Police Station to get a young boy out. I was only 27 at the time. This boy was like 18 who had been accused of something, a sexual assault on another, on a, a girl. That's how, that's how quick I was, if you like to say, christened in this uh, type of holiday. I was there to make sure people enjoy themselves, take them to the hotels. Then when I moved into the hotel, show, tell them all about the resort they're in, what they can expect for me and what's going to happen. You're going to have a lovely holiday, which uh, if anyone knows for a certain com- a tour company, Holiday company from the UK, they say have a lovely holiday. That's who I work for at the moment. I didn't like the movie How to Have Sex as much as everyone else did. I never said it was a horrible film. I just said I didn't, the experience, I didn't enjoy it as much because I've been there and done that. I don't know about yourself. I really liked it. I thought it was an outstanding, like, debut feature from the filmmaker. I also think, I don't know, I feel like a lot of it is because I think people can relate to it. I think people said, you know, it's evident that people relate to it and yeah. really understand it. So it's something that I think people are very familiar with. Um, yeah. And I think that's the point, right? Because yeah, it's something that I think everybody has seen and or experienced, but no one really talks about in the sense that, like, it's kind of mm, hidden in a way. Yeah. And... I like how the film explores that and without necessarily making like a judgment on these characters but yeah that was very powerful and I really enjoyed it I think it's very like timely very needed um I'm happy that people are gonna have this film to look at in order to perhaps learn something when I think a couple years ago and before it was these things can't be talked about yeah. Right. So a few of these films we've talked about quite a lot. I'm just going to mention mm-hmm. the names and then we'll you can mention a few words about the films that we haven't uh, talked about. But the next, the first film I'm going to mention, I've not seen it, but you hate it. <laughs> <It's brilliant. laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. I'm quite surprised at the negativity side of uh, why it got voted for potential best British film. 
I don't think it's going to do anything. No. Poor, no. We've got poor things. Uh, we've got yeah. Riley Lane, which we haven't seen. Saltburn, as you said, you loved it. I, I hated it. The Zone of Interest, which we liked it, but we didn't like it as much as uh, what's going on. Uh, Wonka, which we have both reviewed uh, on yeah. the, a previous episode, which we enjoyed. I think you enjoyed it just slightly better than myself. And a film that I haven't seen, I don't know if you've seen, is Scrapper, which, uh, which how I have to be sex, uh, is it Molly Walker Manning was yeah. the DOP on it? Yes. I really like Scrapper. I think it's just like, it's a sweet, funny film. I think the acting in it is really good. And like a lot of comedies, it's, you know, part, the, one of the main things is the acting. Yeah. So I am really glad that she's nominated. I didn't think, and I was surprised for me because it came out a lot earlier in the year. So I wasn't sure it was going to be considered for award season. Um, but it's a very good film. Yeah. Yeah. As a what film, I hope it's all of us are strangers. I, but I've got a sneaky feeling how to have sex might do well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think uh, it's hard, Poor isn't things. it? Poor things. Yeah. Maybe. I also think Zone of Interest might do well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 I forgot to mention another one. Uh, the old oak. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. But I love the old oak. So I'm happy yeah. with it. Yeah. Right. I'm going to do one more, and then I'm just ask who you think might win the the Rising Star Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do the film not in English language. Is it same again? There's a few I've already mentioned. Uh, the zone of interest. Uh, autonomy of fall uh, past lives uh, that is the one that I hope does win me uh, too but that... I find it a bit weird that it's nominated I don't know to me it's uh, isn't half of it in English I don't know I, I found it quite odd that past, past lives, lives yeah yeah it's, uh, it goes between Korean and uh, English especially when they're in uh, New York mm-hmm. yeah yeah I love the film I really really did love the film the other two, I've seen one of them. I'll mention the one I haven't seen. I don't know if you've seen it. 20 Days in Maripal. No, I really want to see it, but it's like nowhere to be found. So I've yeah. And Society of the Snow, I have seen it. Uh, it's not the first time Society of the Snow, ha- the, the film, it's be- the, the Dutri story it's based on. In 1993, Frank Marshall, I think it was Frank Marshall, directed A Lie, which had people like, Ethan Hawke in it. It's all about the Chilean rugby team who went up, they went to fly over to Uruguay or Argentina, forgive me, which is uh, a South American tr- country, and they had to fly over the Andes Mountains to play a rugby match. It was a university rugby match, and the guys crashed. The plane crashed in the Andes, and they left there, I think it was for 45 days, and it got to a point where they ended up having a result to cannibalism and started eating. Oh the God. eating the their uh, the comrades, if you like to say, it's directed by it's on Netflix at the moment. Directed by J. Bayona. J. Bayona did the one of the Jurassic World movies, the second one, the one that was really dark and some said was a horror movie. I really liked this. This is one for two and a half hours. The difference between Alive, Alive is very Hollywood. You get the sort of Hollywood stylings and that. They exaggerate everything. It's a hyperbole. This at the beginning, 
introduces the characters we are alive because right into the actual flight. This at the beginning does about 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes introducing the, the, the guys who are going to be in the, the actual flight and then they get into the flight and then they go into what actually happens and then at the end they actually show you the aftermath, which Alive doesn't do. It's very dark, it's very emotional, very claustrophobic at times because at times there's some avalanches happening and you actually, you're in the centre of it and you actually feel, feel you're actually trapped and it plays in your emotions, you know, and, you know, this is in Spanish, but obviously with Netflix, it actually comes with a, an American dubbing. I really liked it. If I was to pick between any of these films that we mentioned here, Past Lives and Society Snow, I would, would not be disappointed if they win the the best in the foreign language. Have you seen Society of the Snow? No, I really want to catch up with it on Netflix, but I haven't yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think my take would also be Fast Lives. I really love it. I do, I do wish Perfect Days was nominated though. I know it's nominated for the Oscars, but as in the, the what do you call it, the Rising Stars. Just let me know who you think may win. You've got Jacob Elordi. You've got Phoebe. I, I do, I do think Jacob Elordi might win actually. I just think he's had such a like such a fantastic year because. He's on two major films, like Soulburn, obviously, and Priscilla. Yeah. And he's he really like stands out. I know he's not the main character in either of them, but yeah. he's a supporting actor, but like he's in it a lot in both of them. And it's just so different, it really shows his range. So you know, if I were to pick for this year specifically, then I think Jeff Balordi might have the best shot. I think I think yeah. Demi is great, but I feel like she she was, I don't know, she's done more stuff in previous years, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm you. I'm either Jacob Elordi or, or Phoebe Denver, who, who's getting nominated because of Fair Play. But she's also I Phoebe. So. Or Emily, she's also Emily in Bridgerton. So she's got a good chance. The others are Ayo Itibiri, who's who was in Bottoms. Mm-hmm. And the other one is... Maya McKenna Briss, who plays the lead actress in oh, yeah. the next. So they're, I think they're she's really good. But I don't yeah. know. I think, like, as far as I know, she's only done one film. So I don't, I don't know how many people have seen it. It's yeah. a bit more of an art indie one. So. Yeah. As in, there's one more, and it's the Sophie Weld who was in Talk to Me. That was that was another surprise of uh, last year. Sophie Will, she plays the main actress in it. Another Australian actress, and uh, she was fantastic in it. You know that was a fantastic film. There you have it. That is your part, your opinions on who may win the Oscars and the BAFTA. More the BAFTAs. And there you have it, folks. That bonus episode twenty. 6.5 the chronicle take two thank you for obviously joining us thank you clotilda for joining us for this uh, episode you. can you let people know where they can find you on social media yes so my instagram is at the post of being chloe my letterbox and twitter is films with chloe 
Unless they change it again. Uh, <laughs> I think that's it. That's the social media that I actually use. That's great. Thank you. Uh, I am going to get a letterbox, People's Movies Stroke Chronicle uh, podcast. For, for myself, at the People's Movie on Facebook and on Twitter, and it's the People's Movies over at Instagram. The BAFTA Ceremony will broadcast on BBC One and on iPlayer in the UK between 7 and nine o'clock. The Oscars, they will take place on the 10th of March. Obviously, look for your local listings to find out exactly what time they will be played. Here, it was usually into, a, usually into the following day because we're obviously here in the UK, we're ahead. Also, yeah. do remember, you still listen to episode 26 of The Chronicle. We've got reviews of The Colour Purple and Migration. Go over to the website and find, you'll find them there. Obviously, please do share this podcast. Thank you, obviously, for joining us for the full episode. It is a very long episode. Do share it on social media and with your friends and family. You will find The Chronicle and The Chronicle Take Two on your favourite podcast sites like Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, CastBox, to name a few. As I said, to listen out to when we're going to do another episode of The Chronicle Take Two, keep posted on social media and also the people moves. The same for the next episode of The Chronicle. We may do it at the end of this month or uh, into, uh, in, into March. Obviously, you can sign up for the email newsletter over at The People's Movies, and that's where you'll find it all the updates of what's going on and what we're posting. You can show your support for the Chronicle and the People's Movies with Buy Me a Coffee and at PayPal. You'll find the links at the People's Movies. Thank you for Clotilda for joining us and thank you for joining us. Until the next time, enjoy the movies.